Welcome to our Through the Bible study here on Bible In-Depth Network with Alex. In our study, we look at the context of Scripture and how it applies to our daily lives. We also believe that there's no limitation to the revelation of the Word God. Let's study together today. Yes, praise be to God. I hope you're safe. I hope the Lord has kept you safe and sound. This is a day that the Lord has met. We shall rejoice and we shall be glad in it. Thank you for joining us for our time of the study of the Word of God here. We study the Bible. We aim to study from the book of Genesis to Revelation. And by the grace of God, we have done the Old Testament. And now we are handling the New Testament. And uh, we are looking at the book of Matthew. And uh, we are on chapter 18. And I want us to continue from verse 15 of chapter 18. That is where we closed off. And it starts by saying, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Now, this sinning that is being talked about here, of course, there will be two things you might relate to. Sinning against who? Firstly, God, because you sin against God for what you do. He has given us commandments. There's a life he requires of us. And if we do not do that, then we sin. Then there's also sinning against your neighbor or your friend or that person that they're talking about in this scripture, your brother. Yeah? So you have two cases. And uh, sinning against your brother, you are told, if you're the person that they've sinned against, you go show that person their fault in private. Hmm? If they listen to you, you have won that person. But also against God. Yeah? And uh, this one now goes to another level. That if there's somebody who is a sinner, if there's somebody who does wrong, if there's somebody who is walking out of line, then you're going to go to that person Show them their fault in private. If they listen to you, you have won them. Now, who is this sort of person that has the right or mandate to go out and speak against a brother? The Bible tells us that for those who are in the Christian circle, for those who are in the house, then you have the right to judge. There's always a big discussion about judgment. And... Uh, there's always a big discussion of uh, you do not judge. Yes, and it's spoken even in scripture. But then what is the permission being given to a believer here if it is a brother? You go out, but also you need to make sure that as you go out, your eye is clean. Your eye is clear. There is not a log in your own eye before you go out to take a speck out. Of the other party. Now, it is a very difficult thing to see, but also it is scripture and it's being given to us that if your brother wrongs, if your brother sins, you are going to show them their fault. You're going to go and tell them you did this and it's not right. It might have been even against you. You did this to me and it, it is not right. And he says, in private, not publicly, 
when you're rebuking people or you're speaking to people about what they did and about their sin, it is done in private. He says you go in private, not on a pulpit. You don't get a microphone and start telling people, you know, you wronged me in this way. Or you know, this is the life you're living, uh, so and so, and you should change it. There may be a level that that might be required, but from what we read here in Scripture, it says you do this in private. In private. That means you sit with that person. It is not when you're sitting together, there is no need for a microphone. There is no need to, to make it loud. You sit with the person and talk to them and tell them, this is what I feel. You need to change your life. You've been living a life like this, and it's not right. And mostly, when you read through this and uh, try to understand it, there are people who are in willful sin. That they do, they are in a Christian circle, they are in a church, but they intend to do evil and keep doing evil, irrespective of what they are told, irrespective of what the word said, and they do not care. These are the like that are being talked about here. Yeah, you've been in a, in a fellowship for years, you've been a believer for years, but then there is that thing that you say for you, you will keep doing. You do not change it. This is the type they're talking about here. Those that do not want to change. Those that do not want to have a transformation of life irrespective of the fact that they have been in fellowship for years. Those ones are highly on the list of the people being talked about here. But still, the Bible says you address those in private. And if he listens to you, you have warned them. Because there are those who don't listen. There are those who have become so, so hard. Who are you to tell me? Who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to rebuke me? Who are you to come out and speak like that? You know the ranks I hold. Do you know how much I've been in this church business? Do you know how long I've been a Christian? How can you come and tell me that? You know, even staying long in Christianity might imply maturity, but then it may not be obvious at all times. You can stay long in Christianity, yet the longer you have been there, you have just grown worse. And then there are those who stay long in Christianity and progress yeah, positively. Now, the Bible here is telling us about the type. He's telling us about the kind that does not listen. The kind that does not transform. But if it does not listen to you, because now they tell us what happens now for the type for the type that do not want to listen. Take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. If you've gone alone first, and this person does not listen, the Bible says, get one person or two, okay, and go with them. And you sit down. With that person again and speak because their facts have to be confirmed and this about witnesses is spoken of even in the law of the of the, of the israelites as a, in the days of moses confirmation having witnesses as you speak about this and now what started as a, 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 a discussion of two has become a discussion of three or four people 
And now you have other views from other people and what they have to tell you and how you need to transform and how you have to change and how you have to uh, resolve the issues with the brother if it is that person you sinned against. All in the case where if it is against God that somebody keeps willfully sinning amongst you. And now, verse 17 tells us, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. That is the only time that you are given permission to go to the microphone on the pulpit and tell the church about brother so-and-so, about sister so-and-so. It is after there have been two attempts to resolve conflict, two attempts to address the issue, first privately, as you the person who had the issue, you are the, the one who was the holder of it. Then, where you took the witnesses, that is attempt number two. Now, attempt number two, if it fails, where you've had witnesses and you've talked to this person and they're refusing to change, you're refusing to accept their fault, then the Bible says, Tell it to the church. There, it can go out. It can be broader. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, now this type of person is not easy, but they are there, they exist. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In those days that we are talking about, the moment you are regarded as a tax collector or a Gentile, and it used to happen, when these people would be taken to synagogues, because synagogues were not just places of worship, but also places where they would sit, resolve conflict, yeah, or pass judgment to different people. And if you are a type that has refused to transform, they would get you and uh, regard you that you're not a Jew, but you are now a Gentile, as far as the community is concerned. And uh, a tax collector, tax collectors, of course, were also labeled as sinners because of the nature of the work they used to do, as thieves. Yeah. Now, this is where the church lets you become a Gentile or become a tax collector, be regarded a sinner, be regarded a thief, be regarded a liar. And now this is the worst stage. By the time a church comes out to do that to you, then really it has become too much. Because remember, just earlier, the, 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 the past episode, we are learning about seeking the lost, that one sheep that has got lost, that the shepherd goes out to seek. But if the shepherd goes out to seek that, and still that person does not want to return, or keeps doing evil, or even returns, but then wants to just mess it up all, this is where now it comes to Matthew 17. Let that be a gentile. Let that be a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, if it is this man or this woman that has even refused to listen to the church, if you bind that person here on earth, in heaven it is done. If you loose that person here on earth, in heaven it's done. Now that's the context of that person. But there are other things of, about affairs of life, about your health, about your success, 
about your job. Yeah? Whatever you agree on here on earth, he says in verse 19, again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Now, Jesus is bringing a very interesting thing here. He does not say for some things you agree upon. He says anything that you agree upon. And that is where it makes a band of two stronger. A band of two. A fellowship. We pray alone and God listens and answers. And that is a fact. Also, he tells us here that if two of you gather together in prayer, in agreement, then that which you agree upon here on earth, it shall be done for them by the Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I'm there in their midst. Now, this is not just on matters of fellowship, that you've gathered together in fellowship. As long as you gather in the name of Christ, that's why we always say, even in the workplace, that let us pray. Or let us make this workplace a place, a center of God, where God can come and dwell. Because if God dwells there in the midst of your workplace, and you agree upon anything in that workplace, it shall come to pass. You shall see success in that workplace. Because since you've God, you've met God a center, if you make God the center of your workplace, if is he is in your midst, not just starting meetings and we say a prayer, no, but making sure God is the center of that workplace. Everything that you agree upon in your company meeting, when you agree upon it and say we are going to do this, God in heaven lets it come to pass. Because he says, if two of you agree about anything that you ask, that God, we want clients this week, and you're saying that, and it is a staff meeting, and you're agreeing to it, and God is at the center of your workplace, and you are people of God, if you agree upon that, God will send those clients to you. This transcends or goes beyond just the fellowship. It goes even to the affairs of life. If it is a marriage, that's where the beauty is. Because when you are with your spouse, your wife or your husband, and you agree to do anything, there God is. Because if he's at the minister, the center of your marriage, and you two pray together, and ask together and agree that, Lord, we need a house. We need to build a house. Or we need to build a home. Or we need to buy this property. When you agree together, verse 19 here, if the two of you agree on earth about anything that you ask, God will do it for you. God will do it for you in that marriage. And he will provide that which you've asked for because you too have agreed. And there is a lot that comes with agreement. 
there's flowing in the same spirit because by the time you're asking for it, you both are asking for something you've talked about, you've discussed about, and it is in line. It is the same thing. Not everyone having their own interests and sometimes we even hold selfish interests and then they differ. And then when you start to make the prayer to God, it reaches him that the two of you have made it, but one has different interests from the other. And then we do not get response. But if to agree, agreement is key. Agreement is key in families. Agreement is key in marriages. Agreement is key in workplaces. Agreement is key in a church. If a church agrees upon something and they pray for it, agreeing, then God shall do it. That is Jesus telling us. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and they forgive him? Up to seven times. Remember, these rabbis who had come along in this Jewish uh, period had uh, given uh, a timeline of forgiveness that if some, you, you can forgive somebody at least three times. Now Jesus comes and changes everything. And now Peter, after this discussion, is asking and saying, okay, how often shall I forgive my brother, this one who sins against me, this person who keeps being a problem to me, how often should I forgive that person? And he says, should I push it to seven times? Because, I mean, the rabbis have already told us three. Okay, can we push, add four extra, so they become seven? And Jesus says to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. That should be about 490 times, if my math is right. And he is probably thinking about, okay, now they are supposed to be 490. You're not going to sit down starting to count 490. This is an implication that you have to always forgive. There is no timeline. You keep forgiving. They wrong, you forgive. As long as they accept what they've done and the wrong they've done and they are willing to change or they are even asking for forgiveness, you forgive them. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Now Jesus is bringing a story to them. And he says, when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, when you read uh, about in, in, in the Jewish history and the times of their land, and uh, they, they are telling you about talents and the 100,000 talents, rather 10,000 talents, this is uh, a figure that was so huge, a lot of money in millions, if you were to compare now in millions of dollars. It's uh, interesting how much this servant got to this level that he had such a big debt and had not already been uh, punished by the king. But since he did not have the means to repay, his lord commanded him to be sold, hmm? along with his wife and children, and all that he had, and repayment to be made. Now, this implied that this man had a big debt, and the best way to settle it, you sell him, you sell his children, you sell his wife, and you sell everything he has, and still, even after doing that sell, they may not have covered the cost that they had to pay. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him. He's prostrating himself before his lord or his king. And he says, have patience with me, 
and I'll repay you everything. Of course, this might not be possible because given the figure we know that this guy had to pay, it was too huge. Yeah? And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. This is an interesting, uh, interesting scenario happening here. He says, okay, you've asked for forgiveness, I forgive you. But that slave went out in joy, I believe. He goes, holds even a party, tells his wife, I have been forgiven, tells his friends, I have been forgiven. You cannot believe such a huge debt. The king has forgiven me. I'm free to move. I'm free to do what I want to do. But now, after that, he goes out and found his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii is payment worth uh, for a, a slave's or anybody's wages Yeah, for a day. You would count that as a denarii. So now you get uh, that denarii in uh, wages worth yeah, probably a hundred days. And he seizes these people because of that which they, they owed him and began to choke him. He seizes that man who has that date and begins to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. Now, this guy had even a higher level. For him, it was not like the king. The king did not choke him. But for him, when he goes to the one that has to pay him, he began to choke him. When you're choking somebody, it implies you want to kill them. This guy wanted to kill this slave because he wants his 100 denarii. And it's choking him. He wants to kill him. Pay back what you owe. Pay me that 100 denarii. I want my money. But he was unwilling and uh, to forgive. So his slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him. Just like this guy did to the king. This one falls to the ground and starts to say, have patience with me and I'll repay you. He's using the same words that this guy also used towards the king. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. He says, I don't want to listen to you. So, when his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Now, when they saw what he has done, they said, this man has just been forgiven. For 10,000 talents. Yeah. Now, just a hundred denarii. Yeah. A day's wages of a few days. For him, if you would compute the money he was owed, when we read about how their money used to work, it is money worth 60 million years. 60 million. And that is the money in their computation that this man old. 60 million days, sorry, not years. And now, for him, he cannot forgive. He cannot forgive this person who is just owing him a few denarii for a few days, wages of a worker of a few days. For him, he's been forgiven money worth 60 million days, and he cannot forgive. He's not willing to forgive. He gets this man and throws them into the prison. And listen to what happens as we conclude. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? 
because we want mercy, but we don't want to extend the mercy to others. We want things to be done for us, but we don't want to do that such to others. We pray for God to forgive us, but we don't want to forgive those who've wronged us. And this Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Of course, with records of how much this was, he will never pay it back to full completion, meaning he will be tortured forever. This is eternal punishment, eternal torture that he's going to go through. And the king says, okay, since you refuse to forgive, now I hand you over to the torturers. Let them torment you. Let them torture you until you pay every single coin that you had to pay to me. Because you refused to extend the mercy that was given to you towards that slave. And he concludes by telling us in this last verse of this chapter, My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Can I read that again? My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. If somebody has wronged me, as Alex, I have to forgive that person from my heart. I do not come back to give reference. I do not hold any grudge within my heart. I forgive them completely. Because since I also wrong as Alex and I go and ask God to forgive me and God forgives me. So when he forgives me because what I do is totally it can even be bigger than what these other people who wrong you do. But God still looks down on you and has mercy upon you and forgives you as Alex. And he says I've forgiven you. But now after he has forgiven me, when I refuse to forgive these people who wrong me here on earth, God retracts that grace and I still bear my sin. Because this story that Jesus is telling these people about the king and the slave, the king retracted his forgiveness and sent this slave to be tortured because that slave refused to forgive their brother. Now, as long as we do not forgive those who wrong us, it doesn't matter how much we ask and pray and fast and ask God to forgive because for him he has told us clearly by scripture that if we do not forgive those who wrong us, then he will not forgive us. It is a retraction of his grace. And may God give you the grace to die. I don't know who is listening to me. Probably you've had a hard time to forgive somebody. But I want to tell you today that God seeks that you live in peace. God seeks that you live in peace with that person. Forgive them. Forgive them. And when you forgive them, you will be forgiven.
when you do not forgive them, there's a retraction of grace. Father, I pray that you help us forgive. Help us let go. Help us live in peace. Respective of what has been done, some of us have gone through experiences that have been so hard. And we hold this grudge on our hearts towards our brothers and sisters. And by your word we pray that you help us let go and forgive them because that is what you desire for us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our study today. We believe that the world of God is alive and new each day. Open your heart and let God speak to you. You can also access our teachings through our Podbean channel or reach us through our website, bibleindepth.com.